Just remember. Now, if you would, turn with me to Genesis chapter 1. This, uh, the scripture that I'm going to read to you today is really one of those things that I thought it's really fun to discover God's eternal purpose in a scripture. You go, well, duh, that's what we read the scripture for. And I would not argue with that. However, when it does happen, it's still exciting to, uh, to discover those things and to see those things play out in the scripture, you know, play out and really kind of before your eyes and and God's eternal purpose can be seen and witnessed in every small detail. Sometimes we just have to sit back and observe. And that's what I'm going to talk to you all about this morning. In Genesis chapter 1, and we're going to read, uh, we're going to start in verse 1. And we're going to read through the whole chapter just because, well, maybe not the whole chapter, but I'll read the first part of it so that you guys can see it. You can go back for context, read, read the rest of the chapter. Some of you go, well, why doesn't he read the whole chapter? Uh, because I'm giving you the gist of it, it's your responsibility to go back and read the context, okay? All right? Because otherwise I'll bore you with tears with continuous reading, okay? So in Genesis chapter 1, it says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and void, and darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was moving over the surface of the waters. Then God said, Let there be light. And there was light. God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night, and there was evening and there was morning one day. Then God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters, and let it separate the waters from the waters. God made the expanse and separated the waters which were below the expanse from the waters which were above the expanse, and it was so. God called the expanse heaven, and there was evening and there was morning a second day. And God said, let the waters below the heavens be gathered into one place and let the dry land appear. And it was so. God called the dry land earth and the gathering of the waters he called seas. And God saw that it was good. And God said, let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed and fruit trees on the earth, bearing fruit after their kind with seed in them. And it was so. The earth brought forth vegetation plants yielding seed after their own kind, trees bearing fruit with seed in them after their kind, and God saw that it was good. Now I'll stop there for just a moment, and we'll pick back up in the chapter. There's a couple key things in the first couple verses, right, is that when you, when you look at verse 1 of the chapter, the earth was formless and void. In other words, it did not exist. I've said this before, that God existed before matter everything that we know and understand that our world that our science and that we are based upon is based upon matter existence right carbon-based life forms we always use those kind of kinds of terms and things like that god existed before that now don't spend too much time trying to wrap your mind around that because that i don't still know if you can do that it says there was darkness over the surface of the deep. Verse 3, God said, let there be light. He created light. Huh? Our finite minds cannot even begin to digest a world without light. 
Our finite minds, our, our, our limited minds cannot even begin to digest the fact we can't even look past this week sometimes, <laughs> right? Or today, for instance, especially if you didn't eat breakfast this morning. If you didn't eat breakfast this morning, in about another 10 minutes, your stomach's going to be growling. You can't look past your own appetite. We can't look past our own appetites. Let alone the fact that God existed before there was matter and that God created light. God created our solar system. Huh? He created the earth, the moon, and the sun, didn't he? We'll get into that in a little bit, but without the, without the moon and the sun, we have no life. As we know it. Whoa, wait a second. Okay, so keep those things in mind. So his creation that he created, this earth that he created, he created life. Not just life in mankind, but life on this planet, on this rock. In verses 11 and 12, he did something also that is very interesting. In verses 11 and 12, he says that the, 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 the vegetation created plants, right? Yielding seed after their kind. Wait, hold up a second. Not only did he create a plant, but he created a plant, which is a life form, that yields seed. What does that mean? It brings life. Not just life in its existence, but life continuously. In perpetuity, as long as the plant is still alive, it yields seed. <clears throat> Look at the way that he created this world. Now, this world is not created in such a way that that you look at it and we go, ah, yes, it creates life. But it does. That's why this premise of I believe that we need to be good stewards of our environment. We need to do everything that we're supposed to do. Uh, I find it absolutely amazing that, you know, we can't fix our highways, but we can ban plastic straws in, this, in the span of no time at all. It's just absolutely amazing to me, though, but that's just a side note. We need to be good stewards with the things that God's entrusted us with, but in our arrogance, we will say things and do things that we think that we will destroy God's creation. We think really highly of ourselves if we think we can do that. It's not going to happen. Why? Because it ain't ours to destroy. We can not treat it properly. And we can not get the benefits from it like we should, which goes into conservation, blah, 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 all that other kind of stuff, right? But don't think so highly of yourself that you're going to destroy this earth. Ain't your job. He's going to wipe it clean, not us. But you see that he says that the, the, the trees were yielding its fruit. And then he tells them in verses 21 of the same chapter, he says, God created the sea monsters and every living creature that moves with which the water swarmed after their kind and every winged bird after its kind. And God saw that it was good. Look at his creation and how he has created these animals and these creatures. 
There is a form of procreation, seed or, or, or eggs or whatever the process is, is that these animals can breed and can create more existence of themselves over time. He created life as we know it. He created ecosystems as we know it. In verse 27, he says something that's really important. In verse 27, he says that, that God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created a male and female. He created them. Now, there's something different about the creation of mankind, you see. If you go back and look at the creatures, the plants, all the animals, he created them after their kind. You understand? He used the term their kind. In other words, he created them. The difference between the creation and the, the, you know, the plants and the animals and all those other kind of things, he fashioned and created their image. He patterned mankind after his image. The image of Jesus Christ. The image of God. The image of the Holy Spirit. It says, In the image of God, He created male and female. He created them. It tells him in verse 28, God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth, and subdue it, and rule over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the sky, over every living thing that moves on earth. God created a domain for his creation to rule and reign. It's called earth. His creation was life-sustaining. You look at the, the, the things that, we'll, and we'll get to it in a little bit about the sun and the moon, and you look at all these different things, and you're like, well, wait a second. Listen, the sun, if we didn't have the sun, we would freeze to death. We wouldn't have photosynthesis. Plants wouldn't grow. Animals wouldn't live. You don't have the moon. You don't have the seas. That's what sets its boundaries. We don't have waves. We don't have tidal seas. We don't have all the things that go in. You think that that's by accident? God created it that way. Life-sustaining. Every creation that God has ever created, everything that he has ever done, brings about life. It also brings about a way in which life can be reproduced. That's why a lot of times we get mixed up in these things in this world. So love is love, right? So you hear people say, love is love. Well, that sounds great. But God created them male and female. There is a very basic principle in which why that was done. So that man and woman can procreate and multiply and fill the earth. If you take two sex same objects, you can't do that. The biology and the physiology of those things, it is not possible to do that. Even though man is stepping in and trying to create those kind of scenarios. 
go, it's not that big of a deal. It's a huge deal. That is an affront to who God is. You don't understand. If you're a Christian and yet that stuff's okay with you, you're not reading the same book I'm reading. That's not okay. That's not right. Doesn't mean we don't love those people. Doesn't mean we don't spend time with them. Doesn't mean they're not our friends. But you cannot agree with something that is contrary to God and his creation. That's not how that works. It is our obligation to share with folks the importance and value of who God is and his creation. There's a lot of folks out there that just simply don't understand. They're lost. They don't know. If you would, turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Now, you can go on to read the first three, four chapters of, of Genesis, and you can understand and see that there was a fall. Everybody is familiar with the fall of mankind. And so the original design of God was that God and his people, his creation, were to fill the garden, were to spend time in the garden, to cultivate, to grow. I do believe that provided they stayed there long enough, it would have guaranteed them eternal life. They would have stayed or transitioned into a life. Actually, I don't think they would have had to transition at all because there was no sin present in their lives. Well, when Adam and Eve partook of that fruit, that all changed. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, in verse 20, it says, now, But now Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who are asleep, for since by a man came death, by a man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all will be made alive. But each in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, and after that those at his coming. Then comes the end, and he hands over the kingdom to God and Father when he abolished all rule and authority and power. For he must reign until he puts all enemies under his feet. The point of it is, you look at it, it says, for by death, for, for by, since by man came death, in verse 21, by also man came the resurrection of the dead. In other words, when Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, in comes death. So that means the opposite is true, doesn't it? Prior to the fall in the garden, there was only life. Amen? There was only life. But because they fell in the garden, because they, they, they were tricked by the serpent, enticed by maybe bringing God down to their level, surely you won't die. He just doesn't want you to be like him. You know, those kind of things, right? You look at that and there's a fall. That, was, that sin interrupted God's creation. That sin interrupted his original intent to have a life-sustaining, life-producing creation in the garden. You guys with me? Yeah? Okay. Verse 45 in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, it says, So also it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living soul. The last, Adam, became a life giving spirit you look through that through context go back and read that for yourself you realize that they're talking about christ paul's talking about christ 
The first man, Adam, became a living soul. The, set, the last, Adam, became a life-giving spirit. In that same fall from the garden, well, in John chapter 14, and I know some of you are going to go, oh, he likes this scripture. I do. Because it says it so simply and so plainly, right? In verse 6, it says, Jesus said to them, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Jesus is life. Jesus is our life. Without Jesus, we have no life. We are separated Unable to approach God without the blood of Jesus Christ. Cannot. Man can't do it. Ever since the fall of the garden, we can't do it by ourselves. We can't do it in direct communication with God because sin has crept in and is, is physically preventing us from doing that. We must remember that he is life. Now, I want to talk about something real briefly, briefly, sorry, in Matthew chapter 28. Some of you go, what? In the Old Testament, you had tabernacles and temples, right? Worship, sacrifices, things like that, and um, Jewish customs and everything else that we see. In the scripture, right? This sacrifice had to match this sacrifice and all these different kinds of things, right? If you did this, this is what the requirement was. They had uh, sundry laws. They had all kinds of different things that, you know, that the Jews had to uh, adhere to. In comes the New Testament. You have Jesus Christ, right? You have the Christ come down. That changes things, doesn't he? Puts a new institution in place, his church. His gospel message started just after, you know, he was a, a young man. And for three years, he roamed his own countryside and preached the gospel, preached the good news, taught in all the synagogues and all the places that needed to be taught, taught all the Jews. And his early church, which was small but powerful, he instituted... A church of called out believers, an ecclesia, if you will, right? A group of them. The apostles, the prophets, I'm sorry, well, some of the prophets, but the apostles and, and the teachers and everybody that learned under Jesus. You remember it said it was a, the, the, the last Adam became a life-giving spirit. The first Adam was a living soul. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. In Matthew chapter 28, in verses 16 through 20, it says, But the eleven disciples proceeded to Galilee, to the mountain which Jesus had designated. When they saw him, they worshipped him, and some were doubtful. And Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And, lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. That instruction that you see that he gives to the church there, is, it mirrors and is very close 
to when God created mankind in the garden and told them to be fruitful and multiply. That is, in essence, what he's saying here in Matthew chapter 28. Be fruitful and multiply. That's what he's telling them. He did not create his church to merely exist. He created his church to produce life. Not life that you and I are the originators of, but it's the you and I that have the life that produces more life. It's the Holy Spirit. It's the church. It's the body that, that creates more life. But it is only because of our life-giving Savior, Jesus Christ. Yeah. See, a lot of times what happens to us is we think because merely existing as the church that we're good enough. And is that a good thing? Yes, it, of course it is. But we need to be life-producing as well. We need to be busy about creating disciples. We need to be busy about those other kind of things. Why? Because that is one of the reasons that we were created. We focus a lot of our time and energy on the church being a safe haven from this world. Is it? Absolutely it is. But this safe haven is meant to be shared. This is his creation. You sit in here. I sit in here. We sit in here. We're his creation with the expectation that we create more. And you say, well, we don't create them. You're right. We don't create them. We just put in the work. Be fruitful and multiply. We simply adhere. Now, follow me here. We simply adhere to the design of God that produces life. You understand? His design produces life. Not our design, but his design produces life. Making and strengthening the disciples, even creation is waiting on the redemption and the coming kingdom from life to life to eternal life. In Romans chapter 8, In verses uh, 18, it says, so, uh, so then he has mercy on whom he desires. No, that's nine. Sorry, I did it again. Chapter eight in verse, yeah, verse 18, it says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not to be worthy to be compared with the glory which is revealed to us. For the anxious longing of creation waits eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. That the creation itself will also be set free from its slavery to the corruption to, into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and suffers the pains of childbirth together until now. And not only this, but we ourselves, having the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves, grown within ourselves, waiting eagerly, for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our body. 
For in hope we have been saved, but hope that is, is seen, but hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes what he already sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we persevere with perseverance we wait eagerly for it. Well, the completion, as we know, of the salvation process, everything that goes along with that, is when the Lord comes back and establishes his kingdom. But one of the things you can look at, you can go back to this chapter, you go back to Genesis chapter 3, when they fell in the garden, you remember what happened, right? God cursed Adam. He, cre he cursed Adam and Eve, and he also cursed the earth. In comes thorns and thistles and things like that that mankind had never seen. He multiplied his labor. Because of the fall and the sin of mankind, our very earth is awaiting redemption. God's, we have not even begun to experience the fullness of God. It's impossible for us to be able to do so. Doesn't mean we can't maximize what we do now. Doesn't mean that we can't try. And doesn't mean that the Lord doesn't fill our lives. That's not what I'm saying. My point of it is, is that this state that we find ourselves in right now, this flesh state, that's why when somebody goes on to be with the Lord, it is a much better place to be. <laughs> it is good. And then when he returns and establishes kingdom on this earth, it is we can't even put into words the description of how good it is. In Revelation chapter 21, Verses 1 through 4 says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth passed away, and there was no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne, saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men, and he will dwell among them, and they shall be his people, and God himself will be among them and he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and there will no longer be any death there will no longer be any mourning or crying or pain the first things have passed away hold on a second what did he wipe away death what was introduced in the fall death You see, the return of God and the return of Christ onto this earth is a return back to the original creation, unadulterated by death and sin. We will live and reside in a place where we no longer have to deal with death in glory, in eternity. In verses 22, the same chapter, it says, 
I saw no temple in it, for the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb are its temple. So you have God and the Lamb, Christ, are the temple in which we serve. And the city had no need of the sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God has illumined it, and the lamp is the Lamb. And the nations walk by its light, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. In the daytime, for there will be no night there. Huh? Its gates will never be closed, and they will bring their glory and the honor of the nations into it. And nothing unclean, and no one who practices an abomination and lying shall ever come into it, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Well, that's, it sounds good. Think about it this way. I said it earlier, I mentioned it earlier with the sun. The sun controls, as we know, it's the center of our, what we know, it's the center of our solar system. Is it not? As we know it, as science, modern day science would teach you in very layman's terms. Without the sun, there's no heat, plants, oxygen, and life. God says there's no need for a son. I'm your son. Whoa. That's a different world, isn't it? The moon controls the tides and oceans and also the seasons. Sound familiar? Go back to the garden. Eerily familiar to what his original creation was intended to be. He controls all that. So the very existence of God's creation. And so understanding who we are and understanding how important this life is, is very important for us. But it's also essential for us to understand to understand that God's creation, everything that he has ever created, produces life. It's only man that comes in and messes it up sometimes. But everything that he's created, he's created us. His divine purpose has created us a life-sustaining, an ability for us, not only in the garden and for mankind and in nature, in human form and in an animal form. You look at it and you go, you look at all these different things that mankind, and, and as we understand it, is that they can procreate, they can create more, they can, they can sustain life, the, the photosynthesis and everything that goes on with that. And our God created that. He creates life. That is still existent in, in, in our lives today and in, in the, the creation of this world and the function of this world. But it's also in the creation and the function of his church as well. He told them very similar, very, very similar. Look, in, in Acts chapter 1, he told, told them to go to the remotest parts of the earth. Not just to see how far the earth goes, but to spread the gospel. In other words, be fruitful and multiply. Get to work. Do what I've designed you to do. You do it now, we get to do it in eternity. 
we, we get the blessed opportunity, let me say it this way, we get the blessed opportunity to try it now and to do the best we can now, which guarantees our promise of a future, a salvation that, that we get now, but we also get in fullness when he returns. What do you mean in fullness? Well, listen, we got to have, the, the, the way this whole thing is written, you got to, this is where a lot of Christians make a mistake. They don't read the book of Revelation where New Jerusalem comes down that we read about today. That's in fullness. When he abolishes death and it goes away. And we get to be in the presence of our Father. Romans chapter 8 tells us that we get a foretaste of it. Now, we get a little bit of it. We get, can you imagine how, listen, how good this life is already and how much God blesses your life right now. And without him, we could not survive. We could not exist. Amen? And it's good, especially when we're, when we're praying and reading and doing the things that we're supposed to be doing and God's blessing and he's taking care of us. That is good stuff, is it not? It's great. Can you imagine what it would be like without the hindrance of sin? Without the, without the fear of death? You're a part of his creation. You're a part of not just the creation of mankind, but you're a part of his creation here on this earth in this body. That you get to be a part of the life cycle of Christianity. We get to be fruitful and multiply. His divine purpose and his plan, it's so cool to see in the scripture. Sometimes you go, wow, that's really interesting. He creates plants with life in them, life containing life. He creates life in us containing life. What do you mean? We have a seed implanted in us, don't we? Just like with those plants. That seed is Jesus Christ. And we get to share that seed with whomever listens. He didn't just sustain us for now, He gives us eternity. May the Lord bless you and keep you.